If you know a scripture verse that you want me to preach a 60-second Christmas message on, why, holler it out. Or if you're in the back and you, these guys are coming up with mics. Okay. Give, them a, give them a hard one. Hey, I got one, Tom. I got one, Tom. Okay. My brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Do you have a scripture reference on that, Roger? Oh, somewhere in Genesis. Somewhere in the old, somewhere in Genesis. Never mind. My, my Never brother mind. is a smooth man, and uh, my, I, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And Esau's and a hairy I am man. A smooth man. Yeah. All right. All Never right. mind. Uh, will you want me to do this one no, first? No, that's okay. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. Well, sure, sure, absolutely. Christmas is for everybody. Thanks, Tom. I've never heard a sermon on that. I don't care what you look like, how you are created, what your race is, what your language is, what culture you come from, what your background is. The story of Christmas is for everybody, smooth or hairy. That's great. Red, yellow, yeah. black, or white, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Randy, so, somebody over here. All right. Philippians uh, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all, one of a lot of people's favorite verses, Philippians 4.15, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. For that to be true, he had to come. The very fact that he came as one of us and lived as one of us gave him um, the opportunity to understand us as only God could understand us being one of us. So when, when we look at the problems, the struggles, the temptations, the difficulties that we face on a day-to-day -day basis, we know that he's been there ahead of us, that there isn't anything we are going to face. There's no temptation that is going to come at us that Jesus hasn't already experienced. But in order for that to be true, God had to become one of us, and that started at Christmas. Without his coming, we wouldn't have that passage in Scripture. Tom, from one of our internationals, we have Psalm 37, verse 4. Do you have that there, Tim? I do. Delight, Psalm 37, 4? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The only reason we have the desires of our heart is because of the coming of Christ. He is the one that replaces our fear with peace. He's the only one that replaces our anxiety with calmness. He's the only one that replaces our sadness with joy. So the desires of our heart come because Jesus came into this world to pay the price that we could not pay. And so we will honor the Lord with our lives and he will give us, because he's already given us, the desires of our heart. One more. Tom, we've got one right here. Okay. Are with God, all things are possible? Yes. Absolutely. Well, nothing, nothing points to that more beautifully than, than uh, the Christmas story. With a virgin birth, with God, all things are possible. Angels in the sky announcing it to shepherds, with God, all things are possible. God in a manger... The, the Lord of, of eternity lying in dusty straw, with God all things are possible. Our salvation, with God all things are possible. That's the Merry Christmas. Well, in this season of Advent leading up to our celebration of Christmas, we've been following this theme, Arrival of Love. 
And we've talked about love speaks, love serves. This morning it's love sacrifices. Now, if you're a bit confused thinking, okay, I, usually a service has one theme. The whole first part of the service was focused on choice. We got to choose scriptures for messages. We got to choose the songs that we sing. Why the shift of gears? There is no shift of gears. It is the same theme because for there to be sacrifice, there must be a choice. Sacrifice requires a choice. Choice leads to sacrifice. Uh, consider this. If a thief breaks into your house and steals your valuables, you cannot say that you've made a sacrifice. You can say that you've sustained great loss, that it was extremely costly, that it damaged your style of living, that it was an expensive experience. All that is true. But it wasn't a sacrifice because you didn't choose for the thief to come into your house and steal anything. The story of Christmas is one of choice and sacrifice. Love chooses, love sacrifices. It's sort of like saying the same thing. Certainly Mary and Joseph made sacrifices as they chose to be used of God. They had a choice. Just because the angel asked them to do something didn't mean that they were required to do it. They chose to be God's servant in this scenario. Of the many sacrifices they made, I'm struck by this. I mean, when you stop and think about the things that we don't read in the story, I'm struck by the fact that grandparents are totally absent in the story. Did Mary and Joseph's parents so abandon them because of what appeared to be immoral behavior that this daughter of theirs was pregnant out of wedlock? Did they so abandon them that Jesus grew up not having any relationship with his grandparents? Now, I, I, perhaps I never really thought much about that until I became a grandparent myself. But this strikes me as being really a sad story. Now, it's true. All of us grandparents think our grandkids are perfect. But this grandchild was. And these grandparents missed out on the greatest adventure of a lifetime, of history. Who, I mean, imagine, this is my grandson. He's the Messiah. How much they missed when they made a choice that sacrificed that loss. But there are others besides Mary and Joseph and their families that made sacrificial choices at that time. And, and really, the ones that I think of are the most unlikely characters in the Christmas adventure. Honestly, they really don't seem to fit the whole storyline. They're not poor like Mary and Joseph. And they're not local like the families that have been living in Bethlehem for generations. They're not day laborers like the shepherds that showed up at the manger that night to see this baby that had been born and laid in a manger. And, and they weren't Jewish at all. And yet, and yet, they were the first to recognize Jesus as king. If you look at any nativity scene, even those that are set up around our building here, you will see some characters that appear oddly out of place, what with their extravagant clothes and their expensive gifts. And Matthew introduces them to the reader in chapter 2 of his biography of Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is what we read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the Magi were a high caste of ranking political religious leaders in the land of Persia. Within the Persian imperial courts, the area today that we know is Iran and Iraq. Not only were they highly respected, but they were often instrumental in predicting and establishing new kingships. We derive our English word magic and magistrate from that word magi, but these men were not steeped in hocus pocus. They were scholars who studied astronomy, medicine, math, and natural sciences. The star most likely appeared at the birth of Christ. So when these Persian astronomers discovered this heavenly phenomenon, they determined to make a pilgrimage to see him. Now the question comes to my mind, what's the connection here? How did, how did men from Persia of the royal palace connection type think about a baby born in Judea? I mean, what possible connection could there be here? Well, one obvious connection uh, and, and probably the most obvious connection is the respect and legacy left by Daniel. Remember, Daniel was taken captive out of Judea, taken to Babylon, was a part of the Persian court, and his prophetic writings and his teachings had had a profound impact upon the Persian Empire. So five centuries after Daniel had died and had written all of these prophecies, the Persian scholars concluded that this star in the heavens heralded the birth of this Hebrew king that Daniel had talked about. And, and, and what is it about this star? Scholars, skeptics, and students of Scripture have long sought to figure this one out. Now, modern-day astronomers, aided by computers, have discovered that there was an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn near the time of the birth of Christ. This usually happens only once in every 800 years, but it took place three times at this period of history, in the month of May, October, and December. And the planet Mars also ended up in this alignment, adding to the phenomenon of the whole beautiful heavenly sign. Now that may have been, I don't know, but that may have been what took place in the heavens that brought the Magi from Persia to Judea. They interpreted that sign as the announcement of the birth of the king. The journey, well, it would have been a long one. Now, the Magi would not have cut straight across. They would have taken more of an arching trip across the fertile Crescent, you can see on the map sort of the journey that they would have taken. What you need to realize, folks, is that was a journey of approximately 900 miles, nearly 900 miles. Uh, that, that's the equivalent of riding a camel from Bloomington, Indiana to Providence, Rhode Island. That's got to hurt. I mean, that, that's just got to be really uncomfortable. You might even say that this was the original Star Trek. To boldly go where no Persian had gone before. <laughs> it's sad when a preacher gets more moans than amens in a sermon. 
Just needed to make sure you were still awake. So, months later, months later, they arrive in Jerusalem, the capital city, to ask for directions. Now, see, they saw the star. They know it's Judea, but they, they don't know where. So they stop at Jerusalem, which is the residence of the king himself and the royal household. And who better to know about a royal birth than the king? Matthew goes on in verse 3, says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, King Herod was the original Grinch of the Christmas story, and he was not amused by the news. And he began at that moment to plan his egregious plot that he would kill all the boys in Bethlehem as soon as these guys left. So he called together. Now, at this point, he didn't realize it was Bethlehem until he called together his um, advisors to ask, his scholars to ask where the baby would be born. And so they told him it would be Bethlehem. Now, you've got to understand who Herod is. He is a vicious kind of guy. He's insanely jealous. Herod had killed several of his own sons, one of his wives, and his mother-in-law out of fear that they would overtake the kingdom. Herod also knew that he was hated by the Jews and they couldn't wait for him to die. And so he's just antagonizing them all along the way. When it says Herod was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him, Jerusalem wasn't disturbed out of sympathy for Herod. They were disturbed out of what they feared he would do, knowing what a vicious reputation he had. And so after calling the chief priest and learning where the baby was to be born, Bethlehem, he secretly calls the magi in and said, when did the star appear? And so he concluded that when he sent his soldiers to kill the boys of Bethlehem, it would be two years old and younger. Thus it appears that Herod alone held all the cards that he had the full scoop. In verse 8, he says, He sent them to Bethlehem, that is the Magi, and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He pretends that he wants to bow down in the presence of the king, but his intent is evil personified. You talk about your fake news. This is, at the, at the very heart, fake news. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Okay, now something different takes place here, folks. This is an interesting turn in the story. It seems the star that they had seen back in Babylon appears again, but this time things are different. The star moves and rests over Bethlehem. Now, folks, the star they saw in Jerusalem begins to move toward, you know how far away this is? This is six miles. I don't see stars moving like that. I realize that in the Milky Way, stars travel at approximately 300 miles per second, but I've never seen a star move six miles and hover over the place where I was headed. That would be a vast improvement over GPS, but that's something unique that's happening here. The North Star, Alpha Centauri, they, they, they don't move like that. I'm convinced that this last movement of the star was a divine sign from the Heavenly Father for the sake of the Magi. Think about this, folks. One would think that if an ordinary star had moved from your vision in Jerusalem six miles away to hover in Bethlehem, that everybody would have noticed that and everybody would have flocked to Bethlehem to see exactly where and what was going on. But the Magi are the only ones that end up at the house where Mary, Joseph, and the young Jesus are at this point in time. 
So imagine for just a moment. Imagine you're standing out here on the, on the end of the parking lot in the evening and you watch the moon rise from the east. And then suddenly it gets part of the way up in the sky and all of a sudden it just starts shifting north and hovers over Chick-fil-A. This is what we're talking about here. You'd, you'd take off. You'd want to see what in the world the moon was doing. You'd also be hungry for chicken at that point in time. This, this is what the Magi saw. And I have no problem with this. If the angels of, of heaven could appear to the shepherds out on the hillside, why couldn't the star be a sign from God just for the Magi? In verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Not mere gifts. Matthew says they were treasures, lavish gifts, costly gifts, sacrificial gifts. Jeff did a good job of spelling out those gifts. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for a sacrifice. Given the fact that God warns them shortly when the Magi leave, take the boy Jesus and go into Egypt because Herod is going to seek to kill him. I believe the gold, frankincense, and myrrh were used to sustain them while they went and lived in Egypt until Joseph could come home and find work. Now, I can't read this portion of the Christmas story without being struck by the amount of sacrifice demonstrated by these magi. They made choices by faith that were costly. And their lessons are valuable to us today. Let's just take a look. First of all, it was the time. These men left home and family on a journey of faith. They were gone for months on end in an effort to discover this infant king. It may have been years. They did not know who he was or why he had come, but they believed that the star was a sign in the heavens that the royal birth of a child that was destined for greatness was taking place in Judea. And so they came and worshiped. And they made the choice that they would make the journey. I find such sacrifice simply overwhelming. And, and I have to ask myself the question when I read this story. Would I have joined their entourage if I had known about the trip? And I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have. I can think of a gazillion excuses. I don't have the time. I'm needed here in Babylon. Who will provide for my family? What if my business goes under? All the different things that you would think of. I mean, you could come up with a, an endless list of reasons not to go. But speculation about what I would have done had I been there doesn't really matter. The question I need to answer and the question you need to answer is what am I doing right now for Jesus Christ? Not what would I have done then. What am I doing now, unlike the Magi, we know who he is and why he came. And unlike the Magi, we don't have to travel 900 miles on camel to discover him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The Apostle Paul reminds us in the, uh, that the very Spirit of God lives in us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And how long would it have taken to prepare for a trip like that? I, I don't enjoy packing for a trip. I mean, what kind of clothes do you take? Do you take casual clothes? Do you take sport clothes? Do you take dressy clothes? Is it warm or is it cold? What will I need? Will I need a jacket or a coat? What kind of... Daily necessities will I need to take. And those are just for trips that last a handful of days. These 
These magi had to prepare for months upon months. I don't have to pack food that will last for months or tents or bedding or fodder for animals. You see, it's one thing to see a star that heralds the birth of a king. It's another to leave the journey of house and home not knowing when you're going to come back. Most people think that Jesus is special. Not everybody is willing to follow him and make him king of their lives. There's a big difference. One involves admiration. The other one involves sacrificial commitment. And it's much easier to admire from a distance than it is to follow in sacrifice. Love sacrifices. It makes the preparation. It makes the journey. And being away from family that long must have been difficult. What if, what if something goes wrong at home? What if a child gets sick and dies while I'm gone? What if the business fails? Who will be there to support my family? It's a major sacrifice. And they were way out of their comfort zones, crossing over that fertile crescent all the way into Judea. What would they be accepted when they got there? And then they had to go back a different way. Remember, in the dream, they were warned to go back a different way. So they were out of their comfort zone once again. They had to find a new route home. Let me ask you, when's the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone for the sake of Jesus Christ? Have you done anything this season have you picked up one of our widow and widower cards and, 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 and used that as an opportunity to encourage somebody? Did you adopt a family earlier in the season for whom you bought gifts? Several of our children from church uh, this uh, last week went to one of the local convalescent homes and they sang Christmas carols. They did an awesome job. I was so proud of the songs that they sang. What, what, what have you done this season for someone else? When's the last time you stopped by a convalescent home just to visit? And who financed their trip? They did. This was not a business account kind of a thing. There was no expense fund here. And while we don't know how many magi there were, like Jeff said, we do know their gifts, extravagant gifts. That, too, was sacrifice. Uh, did you, I, I'm assuming you probably have been or maybe still do family drawings, name drawings. I, I'm sure... You have people in your family you hope don't get your name. <laughs> Do you have that one person in your family that you hope does get your name? The one that you know that if he or she gets your name, you'll get the nicest gift at the exchange? That was my uncle. I always hoped that my uncle would get my name in the family drawing. These gifts were of the finest nature. They never skimped. So how might we sum up the choices and sacrifices they made? There are three profound things that they did when they got to, to the house there in Bethlehem. And I think these are what we need to remember. When they saw the star again in Jerusalem, they rejoiced. When they entered the house, they gave and they worshiped. So, so can I wind up by just reminding you this, this next few days to do this? Come rejoicing. When you come into the presence of, of the Lord, come rejoicing. Guard your attitude. Spend more time rejoicing than complaining. I know the holidays can wear you down to the point where any semblance of joy is absent. So in this next week, in these next few days, see if you can recapture the joy. Read some good devotional thoughts about Christmas time. Pay attention to the inspiring words of the hymns and the carols of the season. 
I mean, these words from God rest you merry gentlemen are, are beautiful. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. You look at the songs we sang earlier, Joy to the World, and It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, and, and we didn't sing that one, did we? Um, <laughs> but the songs that we sang and the words that tell this great story. So come rejoicing into his presence. Come giving. It doesn't have to be gold, frankincense, or myrrh, but the gifts serve as a good standard. Gold represents your finest. So make sure your gift of time and energy and life is excellent. Frankincense, let your words and actions create a pleasant aroma wherever you go. Myrrh, let your life be a, a gift of sacrifice to him, totally committed to Jesus Christ. So in the spirit of the Magi, here are some gifts for the person who has everything. Give away a smile. Help mend a quarrel. Share words of encouragement. Give something away anonymously. Forgive someone who has mistreated you. Disarm anger with a soft answer. Apologize if you were out of line and were wrong. Be kind to a coworker. Give as God has given to you in Christ without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. Be known as a magi kind of giver. And lastly, come worshiping. Remember that worship is an attitude, not an event. Tony Evans says this. He says, if you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you will leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumpled up church bulletin. Make every day and every deed an act of worship before God. Last thought. When you've come face to face with Jesus, you can't go home the same way you came either, just like the Magi. Once you see him for who he really is, you just can't leave and go home the same as you came. Because Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, one of the reasons I treasure this story so much is that the Magi were Gentiles, like me. I didn't have the connection through the line of Abraham, but I am so grateful that God opened the door to everyone, no matter who you are, what your background is, where you've come from. John Hopkins penned it well in his classic Christmas carol. Star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. The Magi found the perfect light. Have you? Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know that you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.